one of the most predictable aspects of any scary movie is that the victims are always going to make really bad decisions, right? They're going to go into the house where the bad guy is. Uh, they're going to go to the car that won't start. They will hear a noise and go towards the noise instead of running away from the noise. They will go into the barn where the bad guy is. They will make a string of really terrible decisions, so many that the bad guy's job is really not that hard. Like, he doesn't really have to work very hard. They're going to do all the work for him. They're going to come right to where he is. Uh, we're, we're wrapping up a series that we call Relational Vampires. We're talking about people who drain us, who make life difficult, who are exhausting to be around. And it might not be possible to completely avoid those people, right? People are difficult. Uh, we all are difficult in our own way. Relationships are complex. Uh, some people's personality just don't work with your personality and, and maybe that's not anybody's fault maybe that's not your fault maybe that's not their fault it's just the the way that it is right it, it, it's probably impossible to completely avoid relational tension and, and and people that we don't get along with but as we finish this series i want to say that you don't always have to move towards the vampires right you don't always have to go in the house you don't always have to go towards the noise. As a matter of fact, you can choose, at least at times, to move towards the non-vampires. I'm going to assume that all of us have at least one, maybe more, non-vampire in our life. We have somebody that encourages us, inspires us, uh, they give us joy, they make us laugh, maybe they make us think about things in a different way. Maybe they give us wisdom when we talk to them. All of us have people in our lives that we enjoy being around, that we, we feel better when we're around them, and it's possible to move towards those people in your life, right? I, I say it this way. Sometimes the best way to handle relational vampires is to spend time with non-vampires, Sometimes the best way to handle the people that drain you and exhaust you is to make sure you are prioritizing time with people who encourage you, right? I, I, I may not be like you. I don't want to assume that you're like me. But for me, I find it easier to deal with difficult people if I'm spending enough time with easy people, right? Encouraging people. Uh, people who inspire me, pe people who make me laugh. If, if I'm giving enough time to those people, I'm better able to deal with the people that are difficult. Because if I don't, like if I go a week and it's just hard conversation after hard conversation, difficult person after difficult person, or two weeks or a month, my, my whole life is organized around really hard people and hard conversations, my brain begins to tell me that everybody's like this everybody's hard to get along with everybody's difficult everybody's trying to manipulate me everybody's trying to control me everybody's trying to ruin my life like th that's kind of where our brain goes when we're consistently around really difficult people and in that we can forget we know some really great people we know some people that we really enjoy hanging out with we know some people that when we're with them 
our life just feels better. Our attitude is better. We have a greater sense of joy. But there are challenges to prioritizing that sort of relationship. Here's one. Encouraging people, non-vampire people, are rarely pushy people. That's one of the reasons we like them. is because they're not pushy. And they're not demanding. The, the people who are most encouraging to you are the people who care about you and love you. And they typically can read when you're stressed out. Right? They can read when, man, life is hard right now. Life is difficult. Maybe they send you a text. Right? Maybe they shoot you an email. Maybe they call you. But what they don't do is they don't try to add to your stress. So when you're dealing with hard people and hard conversations, the people that care about you think, hey, I'm going to give you some space. I, gotta, I, I don't want to add to what you're already going to. I, I don't want to be more of a burden to you. I know you've got a lot going on. Non-vampire people, encouraging people are patient with us. Right? They don't get mad if we don't have time for them right now. Right? Our relationship is secure enough. They don't get their feelings hurt. If you can't go to lunch with them this week, they're not pushy. They're not demanding. They're not wanting to add to the stress that we're already feeling. Now, a few of our friends, some of you may have that friend who reads you so well that they will call and say, okay, we need to go to lunch tomorrow. You need this. I need this. And they just kind of say, it's on the calendar. You can't say no, right? Some of us have that friend, and they're great friends too, but most encouraging friends don't just kind of barge in the door and say we're gonna get together they're patient like they'll wait the, the problem is we wait and a week becomes two weeks and two weeks becomes a month and and we don't ever get around to it because those relationships don't demand to be seen right vampires on the other hand they don't mind intruding into our lives, right? They don't mind being demanding. They don't mind asking for our time. They don't mind asking for our attention. They don't, uh, they don't mind asking for our energy. They need to have a conversation. Now, I just have a few questions. I just want to go over a couple of things, right? I just want to review the proposal one more time. Can I come by your office and just see you for a minute? Like they have no problems whatsoever barging into our lives. And so what tends to happen is we end up managing those people all the time. We're constantly managing them because they're demanding of our time. And the encouraging people in our life aren't demanding of our time. So we spend less and less time with them. They don't make those sort of demands on us. And, and, and sometimes in our minds, we don't have time for those relationships. We know they're fine. We know they're good. We're having to deal with all of this. We will get to those later. But later, as I said, becomes later and later. Non-vampire relationships don't have the same sense of urgency that difficult people have. They don't have the same sense of, you've got to deal with this right now that difficult people tends to have. You know that if you don't have the conversation with an encouraging person right now, nothing's going to blow up. World War III is not going to start. 
The whole organization is not going to implode if you don't talk to that one person. Whereas difficult people, sometimes you get that feeling, don't you? Like, I've got to handle this. Are the whole thing's going to blow up? They're going to impact a whole lot of people. The conversation is not going to go well. Non-vampires, they don't give off that sense of urgency to us. It doesn't have to happen right now. They're not pushy. They're not demanding. They're patient. Well, what can happen because of that dynamic, what can happen is we end up giving all of our time and energy to difficult people and we never take care of the relationships that are encouraging to us. We're, we're trying to fix this. We're trying to keep this from become, becoming something uh, that we have to deal with later and we never give time to those relationships, relationships that are inspiring to us. When you get to the end of your life, if you have two tanks, and one of them is all of the energy that you expended on difficult people, and the other one is all of the energy that you gave to encouraging people, which two do you hope is fullest? Right? Which one do you think has the most in it? And, next question, which one is the most full right now? Because if we're not careful, we'll just give all of our energy over here and we'll get to encouraging relationships when we have time. Nobody wants to get to the end of their life and think, I gave 90% of my energy to the most difficult people and only 10% of my energy to the people who meant the most to me. And yet we know that spending time with encouraging people does something for us when i go to lunch with somebody or have coffee or have dinner with somebody like i have with many of you i never walk away from that encounter and think oh that was the biggest waste of time like now like i never never like if we've gone to lunch you're happy that i feel that way right i, I never walk away from those times and go oh why did i do that i always go wasn't sure i had time for this had to kind of work it in. I am so glad that we did this. Right? You've felt that before. You've gone to lunch with a friend. You've had coffee with a friend. You didn't have time, but you made time. And then you walked away and said, I really needed that. Like, I didn't know how much I needed that until I did it. And now I know I needed that. That's the sort of refreshment, encouragement, re-energizing that happens when we make time for the people who are encouragers in our life. Julie and I, our lives are very much like your life. Uh, she has a stressful job. I have a stressful job. She has a demanding job. I have a demanding job. We both have lots of responsibilities. Life is going in a whole bunch of different directions. But we also know that if we're not careful, the stress and the responsibility and the demands and life will cause us to go, you know what, we're just going to stay home. Like any chance we get, we're going to stay home. We're going to lock the doors. So we have to kind of say, you know what, we actually need to be with our friends. And again, every time we do it, every time we go out with one of you, every time we hang out with, with one of you, we walk away going, oh, that was so great. That was so great. Why, why don't we do this more? God gives us these gifts of good, nourishing, refreshing relationships. You and I have to take advantage of that. Uh, in the New Testament, Paul, 
was really the king of the shout outs like he's always shouting out people in his letters and sometimes it's at the end like at the end he'll just put a long list of people say hey to this person and what's up with that person and I miss this person sometimes there's a couple that are even in the middle or or one or two that come at the beginning of his letter but he's always saying hey hey to this person and this person's great and tell this person I love them one of those is second Timothy chapter 1 verse 16 Paul writes may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains on the contrary when he was in Rome he searched hard for me until he found me may the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day you know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus like this is one of my favorite shout outs by Paul and we don't know a lot about Onesiphorus but Paul says May God show mercy to Onesiphorus because he always refreshed me. Like whenever I was with him, I just felt better. I was encouraged. I was afraid no matter how bad my day was, when I hung out with that guy, everything changed. Everything turned. It, 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 right before that, this passage, Paul says in verse 15, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Like, so right before he talks about Onesiphorus, Paul says, listen, everybody in Asia, vampires, every one of them. Now, he didn't say vampires. He would have if he'd heard this series. Everybody in Asia, vampires. All, now, I don't know if everybody in Asia was a vampire. But to Paul, everybody had been difficult for him. Everybody in Asia. Uh, vampire, Fidulus, vampire, Hermogenes, vampire, all of them vampires. I'm tired of all of them. You know who I'm not tired of? You know who doesn't drain me? Onesiphorus. Because unlike all of them, when I'm with him, man, he refreshes me. Oh, he encourages me. He's the one guy, when I was in prison, Paul says, I'm, I'm in prison in Rome. Nobody knows where I am. Nobody can find me. He's the one guy that didn't stop looking until he found out where I was. And he came to me, and he, he visited me, and he encouraged me. You know all the ways, Paul says. You know very well how many ways he helped me. This guy meant everything. All those other people, they were killing me. This guy, he refreshed me. He encouraged me. Look. You and I need to remember when all of Asia seems like vampires, whatever Asia is in your life, like when everybody at work seems awful, when everybody in your family seems terrible, when everybody in your circle, there's an Onesiphorus in there somewhere. Like there is a refreshing, encouraging relationship in there somewhere that you need to prioritize, that you need to spend time with. Old Testament example, little backstory. Saul is the first king of Israel, uh, anointed by Samuel, uh, becomes a train wreck really fast. God says, all right, he's not going to be there forever. I'm going to anoint David, this shepherd boy. He's going to be the next king, and he's really the one that I'm going to use. That message didn't sit well with Saul. Saul's angry at David, chases him all over the wilderness trying to kill him. There's this ongoing run for your life by David. He's hiding in caves. He's trying to disguise himself all over the place because King Saul wants to kill him. Saul had a son named Jonathan. And in kind of an ironic twist, Jonathan and David become best friends. 
They are committed to each other. They love each other. This is what happens, 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 14. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father knows this. So here's David, exhausted, depleted, running for his life, thinking at any minute King Saul is going to get him, kill him, capture him. And his best friend shows up. Jonathan just shows up, and the Bible says he helped David find strength in God which suggests David's strength in God had all been depleted. Right? So Jonathan comes around and he says, no, you're going to be the king. Like This is who you are. God has his, has his hand on you. God is going to use you. This is going to happen. My dad's not going to kill you. He's not going to catch you. You are God's chosen leader for our nation. Jonathan, in addition to encouraging David, reminds David who he is. David, you are not who my father says you are. You are not who these people think you are. You are not who those who have surrounded themselves around you. You're not who they think you are. You are the one God has chosen. Sometimes we need friends to remind us who we are. We, we, we need friends to remind us what they see in us because we hear the voices of difficult and challenging people and we begin to lose sight of that. Jonathan says, no, this is who you are. This is who God made you to be. Here's a thought to consider. In order to experiencing encourage, uh, experience encouraging relationships, we can't be indifferent or passive. We can't be indifferent or passive. We, we, we can't have the mentality of, well, I'll get around to it someday. I'll get around to it someday. It's not that big of a deal for me. I'm fine by myself, right? A lot of us have that kind of self-talk. We have that little voice in it. I'm fine by myself. I don't need anybody. Except, as we've talked about before, that's not how you were created. Right? We were created to need each other. We were created to encourage each other. We were created to step into each other's lives. And, and, and you can't just wait for that to happen. Right? You, you, you've got to initiate that sometimes. You, you, you have to step towards that sometimes. Um, last couple of years have been weird. And I think one of the byproducts of the last few years is we're somewhat hesitant in our relationships to one another. Right? We... We're, we're still not always sure, um, does this person want people to talk to them, right? Are they okay with a handshake? Is it a fist bump? Can we hug? Can I be in their personal space? Can we have a long time? Do they want to stand around and talk? We still have some of that from the last couple of years. And, and some people have maximized that, right? Because some people don't want anybody to talk to them. And, and they have maximized what happened to push back and stand farther away from people, which is not, not good for us. But as we're coming through all of this, you and I have to be willing to initiate 
these relationships. Right? A, a lot of us, we're more comfortable being the person who gets invited into relationship, right? We're more comfortable being the person who gets invited for coffee or gets invited to have dinner. And so we just sort of hang back and we wait for somebody else to initiate. These relationships are so important and so needed in our lives. I just want to encourage you, you, you got to initiate sometimes. You've got to step towards relationship. You've got to step towards friendship. You've got to step towards the encouragement that might await you on the other side of that invitation. Right? We, we, our faith story is one of a God who initiated. He came to us and initiated a relationship with us. In the person of Jesus, Christ comes in the flesh to us to initiate a relationship on behalf of his father. This, this is our whole faith story. And, and towards one another, we need, to, we need to practice the same thing. Like how do I step towards a relationship? Another problem. When I'm not encouraged and refreshed, in other words, when I'm, when I'm not taking advantage of these types of relationships, I'm not good at identifying what's going on in other people. I'm not good at identifying what the need is in the other person. Um, when I'm constantly dealing with difficult conversations and difficult people, as I said, I begin to view everybody as difficult. I begin to see everybody as a challenge. I begin to distance myself from more people. And, and sometimes what will happen is I will think that someone is a difficult person when really they just need me to listen to them. But I'm not in an emotional space to listen to them because I haven't been with people that encourage me. Like I'm on edge about all people. Right? I, I'm struggling with, with all people. And so someone comes in who's, who's not difficult. They just need to talk. Like they need compassion from me. They, they need empathy from me. Maybe, maybe they need some wisdom some advice something that i can give them or maybe they just need me to sit with them and listen if i'm depleted i tend to see all those opportunities as inconvenient well i don't have time for that well i don't have time for it. well they're going to ask for something well they're going to well no the problem really isn't them the problem is i'm too tired to minister to them i i'm too depleted to be compassionate towards them. You and I have a limited capacity to give out and give out and give out and deal with hard things before we need to take in the encouragement that God wants to give us through His Spirit, but also through other people. We're like sponges in that way. You can wring out a sponge so much. You can wring out so much water, but then it's got to fill back up at some point. You've got to put it back in the water. It's got to soak it back up or else it's dry. You, you and I are that way. As we're dealing with people, difficult people, not so difficult people, hard conversations, big decisions, we all have them. We have stressful schedules. As we're, as we're dealing with all of that, if we're not taking time for God to tend to our souls through the people that encourage us, through, through the people that strengthen us, we have nothing to give out. And we run the risk of identifying people as problems 
who just need us to care a little bit, who just need us to listen a little bit. You see, I, I, I think one of the ways we deal with vampires, we deal with difficult people or people we perceive to be difficult, one of the ways we deal with that is we make sure we're spending time with the people who encourage us. It doesn't mean we'll never meet a vampire. Right? It's not garlic. It doesn't work like that. It means that our heart will be in the right place when we have to have those conversations. It means that our heart, our mind, will be in the right place when we have to engage in a difficult conversation or when we have to manage someone for whatever reason is being difficult. You and I can be those people. Now, real quickly on the flip side. Just like there are people who encourage us, we need to frequently ask, who am I encouraging? Who am I that person for? Who sees me as their encourager? Or who sees me as a person they could come to for encouragement? We need to be that side of this equation too. Not just the one being encouraged, but the person that others look to as the one that inspires them, encourages them, helps things be right in their world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of relationship. We thank you for the gift of friendship. And in this world, we, we get sideways with one another. There's conflict. Not, not all of our personalities gel. It's just we're all complex beings, and relationships are complex. Uh, but as we're dealing with the stress of our life, as we're, as we're dealing with hard conversations, remind us of your good gift of good relationships because we all have them. We all have at least one or two or three people that every time we're with them, we just feel better walking away. And help us to prioritize that so that we can then be an encouragement to other people. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.